0: Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 46. God is our shelter and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid, even if the earth is shaken and the mountains fall into the depths, even if the seas roar and rage and the hills are shaken by violence. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge.
1: Our first reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, and can be found on page 35 of the Old Testament. That same night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two concubines, and his eleven children, and crossed the river Jabbok, After he sent them across, he also sent across all that he owned, but he stayed behind alone. Then a man came and wrestled with him until just before daybreak. When the man saw that he was not winning the struggle, he struck Jacob on the hip, and it was thrown out of joint. The man said, Let me go, daylight is coming. I won't unless you bless me, Jacob answered. What is your name, the man asked. Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. You have struggled with God and with men, and you have won. So your name will be Israel. Jacob said, now tell me your name. But he answered, Why do you want to know my name? Then he blessed Jacob. Jacob said, I have seen God face to face, and I am still alive. So he named the place Peniel. The sun rose as Jacob was leaving Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The second reading is from Luke chapter 18, verse 1 and it can be found on page 103 of the New Testament. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to teach them that they should always pray and never become discouraged. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. And there was a widow in that same town who kept coming to him and pleading for her rights, saying... Help me against my opponent. For a long time the judge refused to act, but at last he said to himself Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because of all the trouble this widow is giving me, I will see to it that she gets her rights. If I don't, she will keep on coming and finally wear me out. And the Lord continued. Listen to what the corrupt judge said. Now, will God not judge in favour of his own people who cry to him day and night for help? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will judge in their favour and do it quickly. But will the Son of Man find faith on earth when he comes? Amen. This is God's word.
0: I gather that over the summer, when Francis was leading worship for you, you had to engage with some of the less palatable parts of Luke's gospel. I know this because she told me, and she said she found it very challenging because these were parts of the Bible that she would actually choose to ignore, given the choice. And I think that's a danger of all of us, that we kind of like our Bible stories to be nice and comfy and feel good. And I understand that, I really do. But if all we ever do is read nice stories that make us feel good, we don't really grow up as Christians. In order to grow and mature in our faith, we have to work with some of the less easy passages of scripture as the apostle paul might have put it it can be as if we're happy with baby food rather than wanting to chew on adult meals if we want to grow with god we have to put in some hard work rather than just sit back and think well i know all that that's fine growing up as christians isn't easy But it is the only way that our faith is going to withstand the inevitable disappointments and questions, and yes, even doubts that life can bring our way. Well, it is unless we're prepared to live with a huge disconnection between what we do on Sunday and what goes on the rest of the week. The reality is that bad things happen to good people, people lose their jobs. Children get sick and sometimes they die. Marriages fail. Injuries lead to disfigurement and chronic conditions to debilitating fatigue. Christians suffer from depression. Carefully prayed over and prayed into projects go belly up. And we start to realise that it's not always so simple. And it doesn't always work, as we perhaps thought it might have done. I wonder, I think I've used this illustration before, in which case I apologise, but I wonder if it's a bit like what my chemistry teachers used to say to us at school. Way back, in the day of days of O levels, or O grades, as they would have been here, we were taught all sorts of stuff, a bit like somebody would like us to go back to, but we'll not follow that line of argument. Um, And then when we got to A-level, we discovered that what we had been taught at O-level was a simplified version that avoided the things that didn't quite fit the theories we had been taught at O-level. And one of our teachers said, oh, well, that was the O-level lie. This is A-level now. Suffice it to say that when we went to university, what we had learned at A-level was nuanced still further. I think the term lies is unfair. What we had was a kind of intellectual baby food, an elementary knowledge that would get us started. But it wasn't going to sustain us to grow as scientists any more than a rudimentary understanding of languages or history or literature would sustain people growing within those fields. As in science lessons, so in life grown-up thinking and grown-up believing is not going to be satisfied with simplistic explanations that contradict our experience. So we've heard three stories this morning, two read and one enacted with a little bit of artistic license. No idea whether Jesus snored but it was good fun wasn't it? So we have a picture of Rembrandt's storm on Galilee. Apparently that picture has been stolen from wherever it was. So um, if any of you have got it hidden under your bed, I'm sure the, the gallery would be glad to have it back. It's a story we may have known since childhood, and it's a story that is very neatly resolved, isn't it? At the end of the story, the sea is calm, everybody is okay, and they sail across. Jesus tells the disciples off for not having much faith. But basically, it's a kind of baby food story. And you end up, as the song that I learned many years ago says, with Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. Well, maybe. But I think there's a much more nuanced message for us. Because we know that storms don't always resolve as simply as that. But no matter how fierce the storm is, no matter how close we feel to drowning, literally or metaphorically, Maybe even if the waters do engulf us, God in Christ is there with us. It might seem as if Jesus is sleeping, sometimes, leaving us to face the storm on his own. But he is there. The storm may roar without me. My hope may low be laid. But God is round about me. Can I be dismayed? Well. I think you can be dismayed, but there is a sense that somehow God is there sharing it. And I think that is different from smiling at the storm. After Jesus had stilled that storm, as I say, he told off his followers for not having enough faith. Now, I think that seems a little bit harsh when I read that story. But perhaps there's something in there for us that gives us a bit of experience. We know that not all the storms are going to be neatly resolved. The sick relative still dies. The elusive job offer never comes. The domestic chaos continues. But faith says, even though he seems to be sleeping, Christ is there in every circumstance. We would probably, if we're normal, love to be lifted out of that storm and set not just on dry land, but in green pastures with gentle rivers and a blue sky and a yellow sunshine. Often that's just not going to happen. We have to hold on to our trust, our faith, our hope that somehow, somehow God is there. I think it's not lack of faith so much as immaturity of faith that can be the problem. Perhaps we need to name the storms as such. Perhaps we need the liberation to shout at God as the disciples shouted at Jesus to express fear or frustration. And perhaps all we can do is weather the storm, trusting and hoping that Jesus is there, Sharing it with us. As a Jewish ghetto prayer expresses it, I believe in God, though God be silent. Jacob wrestling with an angel in the picture. It's a strange story, wasn't it, that one we heard this morning? And we only got a very small part of it, so I'm going to give you a bit of context to hopefully make a bit more sense of it. Jacob, as I'm sure you remember, was the deceitful younger twin brother of Esau, who fled having cheated Esau out of his birthright. And now, after a long time in the home of the equally cunning and dishonest Laban, Jacob is going to go home. By now, he's a very wealthy, successful man. Do you listen carefully? Two wives, two concubines, 11 children in that chapter of Genesis. Actually, it was 11 sons and some daughters. Uh, He hadn't had Benjamin yet. He had flocks and he had herds. A wealthy, successful man, but a frightened man. Having cheated his younger brother, he was afraid for his life. And he's very busily sending out gifts ahead of him, this flock and those herds and maybe a few servants and who knows. We'll just send them, maybe send the concubines over, that might do as well. Just keep sending people off to try and calm down Esau. There's a lot the Bible doesn't tell us and sometimes what it doesn't tell us is as important as what it does. As the story unfolds, we begin to discover that in the years about which nobody has told us, the two brothers have grown up and matured. Esau isn't nursing a grudge. He's thrilled to welcome home his estranged twin. And Jacob has grown up. He's come to understand that he can't just be dishonest. So he wants to make amends. He wants to be reconciled with Esau. We join the story the night before the two brothers will meet again. Jacob is anxious and afraid, waiting on the bank of the Jabbok River, and he has this very strange encounter, quite probably in a vision or a dream. We're told that he wrestles with a man all night long, refusing to give in. And when the dawn comes, he demands to know the name of the one with whom he has wrestled. He doesn't get a straight answer to that, does he? But it seems that he has been wrestling with God. His name is changed to Israel or Israel, the L being God and the Israel bit about wrestling or struggling. And he's left with a limp. His hip is out of joint, no idea which one it was. A permanent reminder of the encounter. Wherever he goes now, that limp will remind him of where he has been. Of that moment when he wrestled with God. I doubt that many, if any of us, will have had a vision comparable to Jacob's. But that doesn't mean to say we cannot or do not have encounters of every bit as much significance. When we begin in faith, whatever human age that might be, we drink in what we're told, much the way that a baby drinks in milk. But if we're to grow up, if we're going to move beyond being spiritual babies, then we need to move on from simply absorbing what we're told and start to engage seriously with the things of God. This demands both inter... inter Excuse me. This demands intellectual, emotional and spiritual engagement which we might term wrestling. If we're going to grow up, we cannot just accept without thinking about them the words of any preacher or teacher. doesn't matter if it's John Stott or Charles Haddon Spurgeon or whoever. We need to mull over what they say to weigh it up in the light of other experiences, other ideas. We can't just go on thinking what we've always thought, refusing to bring it into contact with new things that God might be showing us through science, through the arts, through the media, whatever. Wrestling with theological, ethical, and doctrinal issues is risky. It carries with it a potential of loss, of something that is really, really precious to us. But failing to wrestle and trying to protect ourselves actually leaves us with an underdeveloped faith that won't withstand the storms because it's never built up its strength. We can stay safe in our Christian playpens with padded corners and no real dangers. Or we could enter the wrestling ring and flex our spiritual muscles, developing and growing as we do so. Over the years, I have wrestled with many aspects of faith and theology, sometimes ending up back where I started, but with a deeper understanding. At other times, ending up somewhere quite different, but with equal conviction. From believers' baptism to human sexuality, from models of atonement to medical ethics, from Christian perspectives on war to church membership, and so on and so on. All of this has left me with my own metaphorical limp. There are consequences to the wrestling, scars to remind me of where I've been. It is costly and it is scary but if we want to grow up, then wrestling with God, or at least with the things of God, in all their complexity and diversity, has to be part of our experience. This is a picture of a widow. I couldn't find a picture illustrating the parable. That was interesting. Maybe I typed the wrong thing into Google. Google. A picture of a widow. Jesus told us a parable about a widow and a judge. What we don't perhaps realise is unusual about this parable is that we're told why Jesus told it. Normally, we just hear a parable and are left to work it out for ourselves. But this one we are told is about persistence in prayer. The poor widow in the story keeps coming back to the judge who quite frankly is uninterested in justice And pleads her case over and over and over again. And eventually, worn down by her persistence, he says, All right, okay, have it your way. You're right. If a mean judge will do that, Jesus said, how much more will God answer prayer? Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it doesn't always seem to work. We pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. And it's not as if they're selfish prayers. We know we shouldn't bring God a shopping list of things that we want or would make us happy. We pray for good things like, well, peace or enough food for everyone or the restoration to health of a godly saint we love dearly. But it doesn't seem to change anything. Sometimes devout and godly people will tell us we need more faith. Or that we have some unconfessed sin that is blocking our prayers. So we confess everything we can think of, and a few more just in case. And we pray longer and harder, and we assure God very firmly that we do believe. And still it seems that God is silent, or maybe not even listening. So perhaps we give up on praying because we think it's pointless. Or perhaps our prayers just become routine repetitions we no longer think about. Or maybe we allow the experience to help us grow. This short parable and explanation has a lot to say. God is not capricious, mean or unjust like the judge in the story. God listens and God is not slow to act. And so we should keep on praying. It doesn't tell us what we should pray. It doesn't tell us either how quickly God might answer. Not slow might not mean super quick. It certainly doesn't mention that our prayer should affect the way we live our lives. Maybe it's only if we find ourselves in the place of that, wi- uh, that widow where our prayers seem to be unanswered that we can move on from a childish kind of a wish list to proper grown-up prayer. What might I mean by that? Even as children, we learn that we don't always get the answer we want when we ask for something. Loving parents and carers will sometimes say, no, when we ask for something. Or they might say, not yet. Wait till you go to school. Wait till you leave school. Wait till you buy a house. Because they know that yes, now, is not in our best interest. And if we think that God is like the perfect parent, then presumably God will behave that way too. We need to learn what prayer isn't as well as what prayer is. God might say yes, God might say no, and God might say, well, not at the moment. Sometimes we can find ourselves torn between different options, and they all seem good. They might all seem scary, they might all seem valid, and we're not quite sure how to decide Should I have this job, or should I have that job, if you're lucky enough to be offered two jobs? Should I study at that university or this one? Should I specialise in this branch of my subject or that branch of a subject? Should I give to this charity or that charity? And the wise friend will probably say, well, you know what? It's up to you. Either would be good. Any of them would be good. Sometimes I think God says that too. Should I work in this hospital or that hospital? Well, actually, I can use you in either hospital. Should I be a teacher? Should I be a missionary? I could use you either of those ways. Should I marry? Should I stay single? Either of those could be great for you. Four kinds of ways our prayers could be answered. I think there is at least one more And I'm sure others beyond. And it's this one. So, what are you going to do about it? We pray for peace. We pray for justice. We pray for healing. Could it be that God says, Yeah. So, what are you going to do about it then? God hears. God listens. God answers. But what about us? Do we hear or listen or respond? The parable is to teach us about persistence in prayer. And that's much more than just a reminder to keep on praying. I think it hints, up, hints at growing up in how we pray. Moving from juvenile to mature understandings allow prayer to shape our everyday lives to the extent maybe as some monastic people have said that the whole of our lives become a prayer I'm led to believe there are some religious people monks and nuns who don't pray so much with words because their whole lives have become an act of prayer Three stories then that we can hear and enjoy and just, that's enough. Or we can hear them in a way that allows us to be challenged, to think afresh about our faith. Persistence in prayer. Tenacity in wrestling with the things of God. Steadfastly trusting that God is present within the storms, even when it feels otherwise. Each of these has potential to help us grow in understanding our faith. And so permanently cha- changed by our encounters, we limp and we nag our way into a future we cannot see as we play our part in building the kingdom of God's shalom as promised by Jesus Christ.
2: Amen. Now we bring our prayers for others and for ourselves. Let us pray. O oh God our Father, we come before you now to bring our prayers for others and for ourselves. The busyness of our everyday world distracts us, and we would seek to gather our thoughts now as we come before you. For so many of us, life can be a struggle. We struggle to maintain our standard of living. We struggle with doubts and fears about our health. We struggle with all sorts of issues and tensions that arise from the pace of life and the pressures upon us. And many of us, and for many of us, we struggle with our faith and our lack of trust in the midst of life's challenges and trials. Lord, teach us to place our lives into your hands and to trust trust to your abiding love, which will never forsake us, Whatever may be tied, we would bring before you today the cares and concerns of our world. For many, there is no relief from poverty and homelessness, from hunger and disease, from the consequences of natural disasters, and from tragedy resulting from warfare and the selfish desires of mankind for power and domination over others. Throughout the world, there is a mood of uncertainty and suspicion. Major conflicts and civil disturbances still rage in Syria, in Egypt, in Somalia, and many other parts of the globe. The financial crisis still casts a long shadow over many nations and divisions between rich and poor continue to widen. In our own country this week, there is concern over the industrial dispute at Grangemouth, and the possible consequences for those employed there and for the wider Scottish economy. We would commend to you all involved in this situation and pray for those who hold in their hands the future of so many families and individuals at this time. We pray for the injustices of the world that they might be overcome by good governance, by fair trading, and an equitable sharing of the world's great resources. And yet, we would remember that humankind has been granted many talents and skills which can be used for the greater good. And we pray that advances of science and technology may be made manifest throughout the world in the fight against disease and ignorance and the enslavement of so many. We know that you are a God of justice and mercy, and we pray that your healing message may be promoted throughout every land that many may come to know the benefits of a world where faith is lived out in good works and in fair dealing in every aspect of life. We pray for our own fellowship here at Hillhead, that amidst an uncertain future, we may give thanks for our honourable past and resolve to carry forward that heritage in our own day and generation. Bless our minister and the managers and all contribute to the work of this fellowship as it seeks to open doors and minds and hearts, and may each and every one of us resolve once again to devote our lives to your service, that we may find that a commitment to this fellowship will provide the inspiration and the source for all our service in the world outside. And so, dear Lord, we pray that as you have come amongst us once again in the quietness of worship, in our meditations and prayers, in our response to the preaching of your word and in a quickening of our resolve to serve you more nearly, we may seek to uphold that faith here in this place, that all who come within its doors may grow with God as they journey onwards day by day. Hear our prayers and let our cry come unto you, for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
0: God of Jacob, God of the nameless widow, God of the flawed and frightened disciples, you have blessed us with minds to think and hearts to love, and in this time have offered us new understandings to shape our lives of faith. So help us to go from here to share in our daily living the hope we have in Christ. Thank you